2 Timothy 1, beginning at verse 8. This is God's holy and infallible word. So, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, long ere the world began. We just sang it. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That's God's word for us this morning. So we started this new we started this new sermon series last week when we had uh, two baptisms in worship. Uh, there were three babies born into our church home last week, and actually another one was born a day ago to the Boone family, a little baby boy, as of, I think, yet unnamed. Does he have a name yet? So I really appreciate how so many of you are taking seriously this business of building the household of faith. This wonderful response so far to the sermon series. We had the baptisms. Baptism, whether of children or adults, it's the sign and seal of God's covenant. And you remember the definition of covenant from last week? Covenant refers to the relationship between God and his people. And that's really what the Bible is all about. It's why God created the earth. It's God's purpose for you to have a relationship with him. We saw that in 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. It's filled with covenant language. There's talk of God's promise, talk of remembering, talk of the faith passed down from generation to generation And I mention all that because our verses today are clearly connected to those from last week. Because our verses start with, so, so, so what next? What more? Well, we see today that the covenant is for our life. It's not just a neat idea. It's not just some pie in the sky. Paul refers to himself like 10 times in our verses. There's a lot of I and me in reference to him. That's an awful lot. It's not because Paul is self-centered. This is God's inspired word. There's purpose here. And the purpose is to show young Pastor Timothy and to show us The power of God for our lives. Paul's in prison here. 
He will very soon be dying for the faith. But we see how the covenant relationship he has with God and Christ has seen him all the way through his whole life to the very end, to the last hour, the last breath. And it will see you through too because this relationship is for life. It's for living. How is it that the covenant is for life. Well, the ground of it, the, the, it's because of the beautiful reality that Jesus has entered our life. God in Jesus has entered this world and entered our lives. We don't worship a God who spun the planets in orbit and then sort of stepped back to watch history play out. Neither do we have a God who shouts down orders from an ivory tower, but other than that, doesn't interact with people. Some people make God out to be something like that, but it's false. You look at verses 9 and 10, if you have your Bibles open still, which is always great to do. Verses 9 and 10 are an amazing, a very cool two-verse, succinct profession of faith. Paul says in verse 9 that God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. How does salvation come? How do you get a relationship with God? Not from anything we've done. Salvation is by sovereign grace alone. Sovereign means all God. All God. How did this grace happen? We read it was given to us in Christ before the beginning of time. What? The Bible says that before there was history, before your own life, that far back, before time started? Yes. Before the foundations of the world were established. That's when God first thought of his church. That's when God first thought of his people and even you and decided to have a relationship with us. And then he created the world. He started history to do just that. Verse 10, it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Paul stretches from eternity backward to eternity forward. As far back as you can go, as far forward as you can go. Immortality. We aren't eternal like God, but we are immortal when we belong to the Lord. We had a beginning, but once we are created, we will exist forever with him. And the heart of that is what Paul has at the heart of the the profession. Jesus destroyed death on the cross. He rose again to life to bring life. And our Savior, says Paul, appeared. He appeared, and that is key. Jesus came in the flesh. He showed up. He walked our roads. He touched people. He's a figure in our history. Liberal theologians and churches reject all of this as fiction, as a story, but it's real. There is so much reliable historical evidence for it, and the Bible 
which is God-breathed, we read in 2 Timothy a little later, which means it's inspired, it's perfect, it's reliable. The Bible records the history of God entering our life in Jesus especially. And as a church, we build on the firm foundation of the beautiful reality that Jesus came to this earth to live and die. And that reality changes people. It changes our reality. You know, you might go along in life and think, will anything ever change for me? Can I get out of these bad patterns and decisions I seem to make? Maybe you're a bit on in life and it's the same routine day after day. Get up, get dressed, get ready, go to work, whatever it is. Can I escape the boredom of life and just... And one answer to that, that that is given and that people go by is, well, not really, but that's okay. Just go with the flow, chill. Kind of the Zen stuff that Phil Jackson dipped into and you know shared with his players to help them win those, those championship runs, to be calm in the midst of, of those games. But if you swallow Zen Buddhism, hook, line, and sinker, you have a, a philosophy of life that sees life as cyclical. The same thing keeps coming back around, and you just have to be content with it. Will things ever really change for the world? Will things really ever change for me? No. No. That's how some people see it, and you just got to deal with it. Figure it out. That is not what the Bible teaches. Life is going somewhere. Life came from God. Sin entered. In the fullness of time, Jesus broke into the dark reality of the world to change the world, to call a people to himself. And he's taken us somewhere. And he's doing a work today. We are changed. Our lives are changed. Paul shows us some practical outcomes of that beautiful reality that Jesus has entered into our life, that Jesus has appeared and he came and lived and died. And the first practical outcome is this. We can thrive in suffering. Paul talks about suffering in in our verses. And and, and in verse 8, he has this very weird invitation to Timothy. Join me in suffering for the gospel. This is not saying that Christians seek out suffering. That would be kind of sick. The key is the for the gospel. This is why I'm suffering. He says it in verse 12. For the message of Jesus, in other words. Paul had a life of suffering for the gospel, but in our letter, writing these words, Paul knows he's in his very last days, maybe hours. But you would not guess it from his language. You wouldn't guess it from his confidence. You wouldn't guess it from his tone. Nothing is going to stop Paul. This sovereign grace, God's complete accomplishment of our salvation, it extends to every part of our life, every detail of your life. That's what sovereignty means. Big picture, little picture, God's got it in hand. Even the hard times. And and that means for the believer, suffering, as one person put it, suffering is never a detour in life. It's part of the road. 
we think, and maybe we, we hope sometimes when we're going through it, that it's a, a detour. I'm going through this tough time, and, and I hope soon to get back on track. But whatever is happening, that is the road of your life because God is sovereign. Suffering is never a detour in life. It's part of our road. Suffering's not an exception. It's to be expected. And suffering doesn't destroy the Christian. It's not that as Christians, we have to just barely make it through the suffering, though there are times, of course, the burden is heavy, the weight is great, we're pulled down, we're barely, if that, putting one foot in front of the other. We have those days. We have those seasons. But in the end, we get stronger through the suffering. This past week, Monday, it was five years ago that I had a very scary surgery for cancer. And I wondered at that time if I would make it through the surgery even, because it was a big surgery. I wondered what my prognosis would be after they analyzed the tumor. I wondered how long I'd even live. I'm so thankful to be here five years later, not just to be here, but to be doing so well. I'm amazed and humbled how God has brought me through. If it were up to me, I would never choose to go through that again. But I have no doubt that he used it in my life for his glory. He used it to bring me closer to himself. It's a bittersweet week because at the same time, I had this thankful remembering two pastor colleagues of, of me and Matthews in the CRC died this past week. One, Tim Coster, who was pastor of a church in Sauk Village, not too far away after a struggle with cancer. He died. He was in his 50s. Another, um, Ken Prohl in Wisconsin, also not far from here. He died suddenly while riding his bike. I was part of an email exchange with him with a couple other pastors about a church matter in a CRC in Wisconsin, and, and, and he was included in an email Friday morning, the day he didn't come home, and they found him by the side of the road. They're doing an autopsy. He wasn't hit by a car or anything. He just died. It's shocking. It's sad. This truth about suffering for Christians doesn't mean call up the wives of these guys and say, hey, no worries, look at Paul. Christians can thrive in suffering. No, that'd be terrible. We hurt, we wonder, life is hard, we don't have the answers, but in the midst of the questions, the answers we do have from God's word are clear. He will see us through. God works out all things for the good of those who love Him. All means all. And Pastor Tim and Pastor Ken are in heaven. Their families will see them again one day. We are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. God's Word teaches that we can thrive in suffering. I've experienced that. Though I don't know anyone who would wish for suffering, 
I've known a lot of believers who can say the same thing. God has brought you through. Paul is telling Pastor Timothy this stuff about suffering in an environment of hatred against the church. Pastor Timothy would almost certainly be facing the very same future as Paul. Lots of suffering, losing his life for the Lord. What a sobering thought for a young pastor if you know that's your future. Paul is saying, for Jesus, for the gospel, for this news, it's worth it. Join me in suffering for the gospel. That's what he's saying. And the church needs to hear this today too. We have brothers and sisters who are persecuted around the world. They say four of five people persecuted in the world for their faith today are Christians. Uh, We're concerned. We look out for uh, Muslims being persecuted and, and people of other faiths being persecuted. Okay, but Christians are more persecuted than any other faith group in this world by far. By far. And it's coming here too. It's coming in our nation. I don't doubt it. I really believe it. And we as God's people, we need to be prepared for that day. And in a sense, like Paul is encouraging Timothy, in a sense, to almost embrace it. That the way of the cross, the way of Jesus, involves suffering. But God always leads his people through the hard times. His plan is right He's got it under control. If it's for the gospel, if it's for him, count me in. Sign me up like Timothy and Paul, like millions of Christians have gone before us who have been persecuted but persevered to the end. It will be worth it. We can thrive in suffering. The second outcome uh, to the reality that Jesus has appeared, and it's this. We have something to stand for. Paul says, And we know a hymn with these words, adapted a little bit. We're going to sing it in a bit. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed. What a conviction. What an assurance. There there are many things we get excited about. We get into different causes. There are flags we wave, and that's okay. But friends, this is the one. This you can stake your life on. This is worth living and dying for. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news about him. How about you? What is your conviction? Do you have one? Are you spineless or are you strong? Do you know whom you have believed? Are you persuaded? What would our actions and conversations say? Spineless or strong? Paul brings up not being ashamed because for Christians in his day, the message of the cross was downright embarrassing. He says somewhere else it was a stumbling block for people, and it's because the cross was the worst, the most horrid punishment for the very worst people. You know, in polite company, the word cross wasn't even used. It was considered an obscene word. But Paul is preaching, this is where it's at. For me, 
for you, for the world. This is God's means to save us. I must stand on this. I will stand on it. Polite company not talking about the cross back then reminds me of the rule today, and you know it, that polite company doesn't talk about religion or politics. Right? That's the rule today. Only rude people would dare bring up things like that. Though there are differences Christians may have on politics, there are some very clear biblical principles that we must apply to our society. I think of a few. There are many, I'm sure. Principles like the sanctity of life. Principles like loving our neighbor, especially our neighbor in need. Principle of just war, many Christians have held to by far most throughout history. The Bible speaks to the racism and the violence we're seeing today. The love of Jesus breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. We need to stand up. We need to speak out about these things. And what about, what about the Christian faith? Are we going to continue to keep our, our mouths shut because polite people won't talk about it or may talk about it? We can't. We've got to take a stand. We sang early in worship, professing our faith. This is what I believe and die for. This is where I take my stand. Like Paul, like Timothy, we must. This is the truth. Paul, millions of believers in history, had every confidence in that. And you and I should too. That brings us to our last thought. Because Jesus appeared, finally, we have something to share. What you've heard from me, says Paul, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit which was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. This is about the mission of the church. Paul's about to die. He's passing the baton, so to speak, to Timothy, who passed it down to the church after him until it it reached us today. What's the mission of the church? What does the church do? We share the good news of Jesus appearing and the difference he has made in his coming and in our lives. The church does that. The church doesn't try to think up new ideas or say, now that it's 2016, let's take a look at what our mission should be. Hmm, how might we change it? No, the church changes to a certain extent in peripherals, but not at its core. We're not reinventing the wheel at Faith CRC. The Lord and those who have gone before have entrusted us with something precious. And now we're called to be faithful what we, with what we receive and do what the faithful before us have done. Keep the pattern of sound teaching. Stick to the truth. Do so with faith and love. That's how to keep the sound teaching. Not harshly, not with negativity, not with grumpiness, with faith and love. Last week we talked about how in the covenant, the home is so important. Friends, that's where discipleship, that's the core, the main place where discipleship has got to happen, in the home, like with Timothy and his grandma and his mom. And the church is so important in the covenant. Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. And we are parents and children and grandparents in the church, building one another up in the faith, encouraging each other. But the covenant call 
doesn't stop with our homes. The covenant call doesn't stop with the people in the church. It goes out. Jesus commands, go make disciples. We must share it. We invite others into the covenant so that they too would have a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. Paul says he was an apostle, leader in the church, a teacher, he taught God's word, and a herald. A herald is someone who proclaims. Hark, the herald angels sing. A herald proclaims, and we continue to be heralds of the gospel. Lest you think the call is only for pastors and teachers like Paul and Timothy, remember that the Bible teaches the priesthood of all believers. It means a lot of things. It means certainly that we all bring the message. We all make a difference where God has called us just as Jesus came to make the difference in our lives. Uh, Ray Medell is, is serving as an elder right now at Faith Church, and, and he and I represented our church at classes Northern Illinois on Wednesday. That's a gathering of area Christian Reformed pastors and church leaders. And we heard some really good stuff, and it's too much to get into, but some really good stuff from one of the professors of Calvin Seminary. That's our denominational seminary, uh, including this quote that I want to share with you. And I want you to put it on the screen, please. Um, I want you to see it. So the, the laity... That kind of refers to everybody in the church, really, right? The, the laity, the, you know, there's their pastors, the, the laity. That's talking about everybody. The laity in their daily work in life occupy critical outposts in the mission of God. They are the spearhead of the church's encounter with the world, displaying Christ's relevance to the whole range of human life. That's from Hendrik Kramer. How does the household of God share the good deposit? How do we do what Paul tells us to do? How does the mission of the church happen? It's through you, through each one of you. You are the spearhead of the church's encounter with the world. Who else would do it? Who else is there but each one of us as you work? When you're in school, in the office, rubbing shoulders with others, in your homes, each one of us is called to be a herald, to carry the message. And the church's job, my job, Pastor Matthew's job, Jonathan's, we're called to teach and to equip you with God's word, to build you up in the faith in order that you can go out there in all the different places of life that all of us go in order to share the mission, the message and accomplish the mission of God. That's how it happens. This glorious covenant relationship, our, our relationship with our God, we started talking about it last week, it isn't just a, a grand idea out there. It's a beautiful reality for our lives. Jesus' appearance, the fact that he came down from heaven proves that, and it makes it so. And there are these wonderful outcomes. You can thrive in suffering. 
You have something to stand for in this world. And you have something to share with the world. And so with the power of the Holy Spirit, where Paul ends our text, the church goes forward full steam ahead to the conclusion of history. And with the help of the Spirit who lives in each one of us, we can thrive in this reality day by day. Amen.